0: Hi everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's panel on mentoring and coaching vulnerable populations. I've been fortunate to chat with over 150 remarkable people on my intentional performers podcast, including the four people that you are either looking at or going to hear from today. And these are people that have overcome adversity, thought deeply about leadership. And our panel today has really thought about leadership quite a bit. And they've all set up intentional lives for themselves to perform at their best and, and work on Areas of their life and areas of their career that they're really passionate about. So the coronavirus has created challenges for so many throughout the world, and it is my hope that these panel discussions will help those in need. While everyone on this panel has tremendous expertise, I also want to note that what we are going through is truly unprecedented, and there may be questions that these panelists simply don't have the answer to. And it's completely fine. It's okay. Uh, that this isn't designed to give you the answer to every question you have. Instead, it's designed to have you think deeply about how you can handle this challenging time. And, and certainly I know people are having health issues right now are having job issues, have people that are in hospitals and working in all kinds of environments. So um, we just want to be aware of that while also learning and growing and thinking about how we can show up for others during this time. And with that, I wanna actually pass it over to Susanna to give you a brief introduction on herself and what she is up to. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. This is um, this is a great topic, and I'm I'm really happy to be here with such awesome panelists. Uh, so I uh, grew up in D.C. I did politics up until about the age of of 32, and. At that point, I realized that what I was really passionate about was helping people get into power who were not the usual suspects, who were people who um, weren't, weren't seen in at the highest levels of power. So, and that's, women is my big focus. Young people's my um, big focus too. And trying to get people of different races, different religions, even strangely different personality types, like convincing introverts that they can be leaders and they can actually do real good. So in 2007, I started a, a nonprofit organization called Running Start. And our goal is to give young women the confidence, capabilities, and connections that they need in order to be leaders. And so just you young women, um, high school and college age. And when I first started Running Start, I I just... I thought it might be hard to get the right kind of people to want to sign up for this kind of, um, very serious sort of academic course. And from the very beginning, we got um, a huge number of really truly diverse people from, um, different socioeconomic levels, different races, religions, and interestingly, different parties. So we really pride ourselves on giving people a voice, um, helping people, uh, let me rephrase that, because actually I, I think it's way better to say, we help people find their voice who didn't know they had a voice before. And we want to um, help raise them up into power.
0: So cool. cool. And I'm excited to learn more. And I know, uh, I saw our other panelists nodding their heads and I'm sure they, they're excited to learn more. Jordan, why don't you give us an introduction on on what you're up to and 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 give us some background on on what you do?
2: Sure. So, and again, I, I echo um, Susanna's remarks in the sense of really excited that you're doing this. Um, I've had a chance oh, to listen thanks. to some of the other um, you know podcasts that you've done, and just lots of great information for all of us. So excited okay. to be here. Um, I, I'm I'm the product of a community that really got behind me growing up. So my mom had me as a teenager, um, grew up in Pennsylvania, and um, found myself in some trouble as, as a youth. Um, but fast forward to my senior year in high school, I've got scholarships all over the country to go to college um, and to play football. And it was really clear I got to the University of Maryland, where I ended up going, and, um, and someone said that you should teach something shortly after you learned it while you still remember what it's like not to know it. And it took me a while to wrap my mind around that, but but what was clear was that I had just gone through this journey to post-secondary education, and, um, and I felt this opportunity to kind of pay that piece forward. So I've spent my whole life, my adult career now, um, <clears throat> or my adult life now, helping young people um, first of all, get exposed to all the opportunities that exist, providing access. Um, But then on the other side of it, how do we help young people, excuse me, um, have the courage and the discipline to pursue their first purpose? And so a lot of the work that I'm doing right now in helping young people think about life after high school, um, helping college athletes transition to career, it's just really all centered around, listen, we've got a finite amount of time here. And I think that times like this certainly magnify the reality of that. Um, and we should spend our time doing something that we're passionate about. And I think what's exciting in the panel that you put together here is it's obviously a lot of people who have passion for what they do and, uh, and not only are realizing this for themselves, but doing everything they can to expose others to the chances and the opportunities. So I'm excited to dive in a little bit deeper, but I think that's kind of the ethos or the spirit in which I live my life.
0: Thanks, Jordan. Jamie, and why don't you go next?
3: Yeah, I'm Jamie and Christian. I'm the head coach at George Washington University in Washington, DC. I'm uh, fortunate to be the head coach at one of the best universities in the world. And I get a different platform and I'm excited to be here with our, with our panelists and with Brian because it gives me an opportunity to learn. I'm um, always trying to be a lifelong learner and to be connected with people who have similar principles, but maybe attack it in a different way. I think there's a huge, huge capacity to learn when you have an idea about something, but someone else can kind of teach you it uh, coming from a different direction that allows you to be more well rounded. So. I'm excited for the opportunity to be here today. Um, again, I'm, I'm a, one of the youngest head coaches in the country. Um, so I attack college basketball different than most. And um, hmm. there's an old school mentality that's involved in every brand of, of business uh, across the world. Um, but when you're a younger guy, you have to attack it differently. I was a head coach at the age of 29 at Mount St. Mary's. Um, and I'm, you know, I've been able to get to the age 10 here with George Washington by the age of 37. So I'm just excited about that. The way we've been able to do it uh, is by, by loving and being connected and talking and spending so much time preaching connectivity, um, which is kind of interesting during the coronavirus, trying to find a different way to connect, a different way to love and a different way to impact. Um, I think oftentimes in sport, everyone talks about the team being a family, but it's now been turned around so much that we, we've neglected to teach the true values of family within a team dynamic. And I get the opportunity to do that. Um, we've had some success over the years um, um, by being able to go to the NCAA tournament and things like that. But we've only been able to do that at different places because we've been able to really teach the value of connectivity and really help people to understand the importance of it. So we're doing that, we've been able to, to ignite fan bases at at Siena College and at Mount St. Mary's and we'll do the same thing here at GW um, with the right amount of time. So I'm excited to have the platform that I have um, because I get a chance to work with the most elite people in the world in um, trying to attack this problem um, a different direction. So man, thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks Jamie. Strong. David, you want to take us home?
4: Sure. Um, If you're defined by the company you keep, then I'm keeping pretty well right now. So it's a privilege to be here. Um, I feel like probably privilege is the best way to describe uh, the way I've grown up um, and and the way that sort of of I come at the world, just feeling lucky, Um, just having stability, having unconditional love um, from the day I was brought into the world um waking up every day being taught to have the mindset that uh sort of the world is open to you and everything is is your opportunity um and if you're a white man in america growing up in a stable home that's pretty much the way things do lay out for you um and it's maybe not until you grow up a little bit that you realize that's not everybody's reality and so um i'm not sure i realized that at age four but looking back growing up in baltimore city uh as the youngest of four and, and uh, in the home that I grew up in that's that's sort of the way it laid out for me um, and it was mainly through sports and public service and other ways and eventually in philanthropy and now in the nonprofits that I, I saw uh, the difference in people's journeys um, and that You know, grit, caring, and love were not really the separators that I thought they were. A lot of people, no matter how much grit they had, had doors thrown in their face. Um, A lot of neighborhoods, for reasons of mass incarceration and others, didn't have men around. Uh, It wasn't about love and caring. It was about injustice and disenfranchisement and a lot of other things. Um, It wasn't until a, you know, gay Latino man from Nebraska who worked for me told me, hey, man. Uh, I don't. I don't just assume everybody's listening to me when they walk in a room. You do. Um, that mm-hmm. I realize that my reality had been different. Um, and so every one of those experiences have been a learning. Um, it's brought me professionally just to another really lucky place where um, I get to to run along with a world class group of people. Um, mentor the National Mentoring Partnership, which is basically the umbrella organization for youth mentoring in the country. Um, our work is really just to stand up, support, advocate, train um, a field of people who are the weavers in America, who weave relationships between people across gender and um, generation um, and ethnicity and culture and race. They do it in schools, they do it in workplaces. There are thousands of mentoring programs in America, often best known and characterized by Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America, who did it for a hundred years. And then about 1990, when Mentor was created, the field has really exploded. Jordan's running a mentoring effort. There are a lot of mentoring efforts going on in America. Our work is really, um, it's interesting in this moment, right? To, to say really what I think Jamie said, that we often focus on sort of hard skills, hard opportunities. These things are needed to face down injustice, but that in order to walk through that door and in order to be supported on pathways, that's the only way you get to striving and thriving. It's not just doors open, it's knowing hmm. how to walk through them and, and then be supported on them. So we just try to weave relationships, really rigorous ones into systems for the best outcomes, teach people how you make those relationships a reality right now. Obviously our entire organization is focused on helping mentoring programs in America who are so focused on physical connection, shift to virtual platforms and try hmm. to make connection. actually, we have lots of research on what works in a virtual space. Um, so that's, kind of lucky enough to be kind of the youth adult relationship people um, and trying to get people to put relationships first when they think about the solutions we need in America.
0: Hey, David, I want to stay with you there. You just said something at the end that I think is pretty interesting. So I look around right now and I think we talked about this before I hit the record button. And I think there are just opportunities everywhere for us to mentor and to be a mentee. And uh, our next door neighbor might be laid off. Our, Grandpa or grandma might be in the hospital. Um, you know, there are just dynamics right now that are causing people to be vulnerable. And you mentioned at the end that you all have done a dive into what works from a mentoring standpoint with remote connection. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think we're all trying to figure out what, what that looks like in this world. And um, I think most of us would agree that it's probably going to be the world we're going to be in for, for some time.
4: Yeah, I think... Um you froze up on me a little bit here, so I want to make sure you're done talking. We're good? Okay. Um, uh, you never look better than in a freeze frame there. Um, but being, uh, <laughs> So, I, um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is about intentionality. It's really not that different than what we talk about physically. The deal with the virtual space is that there's a lot of assumptions about it, um, especially from adults who do it in the workplace and in other places Um, and there are a lot of assumptions about the way in which we need to show up the sort of length of time, the way we need to look when we're on the screen, that are just different for young people, Um, and so there's a whole different language that young people use digitally, but, um, and a lot of ways to show excitement, and sarcasm can be misinterpreted more over technology than in other ways, and just a carefulness, but a lot of it has to do with the stage of the relationship that they're in, the youth, the age of the child, the stage of development. We've got a an ginormous and equitable digital divide in America, which yeah. is being exposed every day right now, so, and also a literacy divide. So there are a mm-hmm. lot of ways in which we think, oh, my God, technology will solve everything, and yet we still can't show up for each other. Um, I think the other thing I would say, Brian, um, other than sort of the tips we already have is that what I've noticed in terms of the way we react to young people a lot in America? Is that we sort of gravitate towards those who garner our attention for doing either the worst or the best. And so <laughs> there's a lot of invisible young people in America. And right now they're sort of more invisible than ever um, because they may be helping people raise children, they may be working at a grocery store because now's a chance to make some money in a very constrained time. And so the more we build trust, the more we build civic and social infrastructure, the more we weather moments like this. I'm not sure we're gonna solve it in these moments, although there are opportunities to be very intentional, like Jamie and is being with his team, but those young men got to his team, you know? And so the, the the question is, how do we make young people all more a part of a team before we get into moments like this? I think to Susanna's point, everybody's got a voice, but how do we empower those voices and connections? But yes, we've got a lot of tips around, you know, mm. what works mentoring and virtual mentoring. And it's a lot about intentionality, responsiveness, showing up when you say you're going to show up all those things.
0: And, and, and Jordan, I, I want to get your perspective because a you are in the weeds with this right now. And then B um, you also have created a technology that is trying to help with uh, this so can you talk a little bit about the technology and also some of the things you might be doing to stay connected to Your 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 people yeah. Did you lose me there?
2: Yeah um, Yeah but I, I, We got it. <laughs> I Think so. That was that was actually an interesting <laughs> slow-mo um, But I, I think I stuck with you. So Yeah a couple things that um, to build on what David just said is, is what's interesting about technology now on the phone, for example, there was a study done on like Instagram, for example. So if you take a picture, if someone takes a picture of you, um, the response that you'll get, as opposed to if you take a selfie and it's kind of like the science behind the selfie and. Mm-hmm. Um, And so if you take a selfie, the response you'll get will be exponentially greater. And it's a result of like how close the the video or the the camera is to your face. And that kind of mirrors an in-person exchange where you're kind of face-to-face with someone and that has more of an impact. So... you know for for us it's been kind of learning those just kind of little tips and tricks as it relates to the technology but i think to build on what david said ultimately it comes down to some of the same principles and and that that exist whether you're in person or not at the end of the day listen we all want to feel acknowledged appreciated accepted and cared for and um and the way in which we do that for young people in our case or young adults um matters and so whether it's in person or whether it's through technology i think for us what we're focusing all of our time and attention around is how are we showing up as it relates to still acknowledging young people still accepting them caring for them etc so um we've kind of narrowed it down in that way the other things that we're learning that that is just the reality is is this divide as as david mentioned i mean um with marginalized communities, situations like this where you tend to have more people living in um, a home than, than maybe most. Um, you tend to have this population who may work hourly. And so jobs are really um, either being lost or in question. And then you you know compound all of that um, by keeping people in the same place for an extended period of time. What we're realizing is the mental health side of this. It Could be much greater than we you know initially anticipated um we're we're realizing the the domestic violence things like this that are just magnified unfortunately in communities that are marginalized
0: and and Susanna for you um you guys create programs and bring people together and uh, really try to rise uh with with a community. Talk about how you're servicing your young leaders and how you're trying to help them through this time.
1: Yeah. So everything we do at running start is in person. I mean, what we do is we, we go to people, we do the training, you know, when you're trying to convince somebody to do something as audacious as run for, for office, Feel like you got to look them in the eye so that Mm -hmm. they know I'm talking to you and saying you can do this and you have what it takes. So, and and I'm telling you, I have resisted online training. My, I've been doing Running Start for 13 years. I'm I'm the founder, and uh, I just never thought it would work. But I'm realizing that I was wrong because we immediately pivoted. Realized, you know, this is the way that we we have to be able to stay connected. And We've done a number of community forums and panels um, a lot like this. And you know what I'm finding is it's a really intimate way to connect with people. I mean, so we right now, I guess the audience is, is going to be, um, we, we don't see everybody's face who's going to be listening, but in a lot of the running start things, we have the panelists up at the top and then we have everybody down below and we're all in our houses, you know, we're all facing the same thing. So we always start out talking about the situation. And I actually think that um, there is something kind of beautiful to, um, to still, you know, finding a way to connect like this and being able to see everybody. Um, So I'm really hopeful that we're going to be able to, to make our programs just as rich as they were before, but by doing it, doing it this way. And one last word too, because I can't remember, maybe it was David talking about um, um, virtual mentoring. One of the, the things that we're gonna do is get the um the high-level people in our network to connect one-on-one. Um, at, in mentorship coffees, which I, we've never done that before, but I mean, that's just, that's kind of an awesome way. And I, I'm sure maybe you lose a little bit, but I think that um, it's probably just as good as um, as an in-person. And and these people are available. That's Brian's point from before. Everybody's saying yes, like, yeah, you want a half an hour of my time? Yeah, okay, sure. Because <clears throat> we have it in a different way than we ever did before.
0: And, and Jamie, and uh, first of all, you get to coach Young men over a time, eighteen to twenty-two, sometimes twenty-three years old. It's a really interesting time for them as they develop into men. And I know that mentoring is a big part of what you try to do for them while they're on campus and even beyond. Uh, talk about how you think about mentoring and how you think about being in service to the young men that come to play at, at GW.
3: Well, I think number one, it's service with the way with the way the world is now for our players. Every, everyone in the world had to pivot to be in digital, but our players had to pivot quickly with their online classes. Yeah. Um, so it was presented like a completely different challenge where we had professors learning how to use the technology, learning how to connect and, uh, and appreciate the technology. right? And then we had our players who were trying to learn how to do it in a setting that isn't always conducive to learning. Um, and so th- those are kind of challenges that we faced. I actually took a little bit different approach. I backed off of these guys a little bit. Uh, I gave them about a week, a week off and I said, listen, take care of your academic stuff, figure out all the bugs and things we need to fix. And huh. then we connected as a team. I said, now let's get a list of all the things that we need to do better. Right. And so just trying to create an environment where there's enough empathy and there's enough time to, to understand there's a lot going on right now. And in those first 14 days, I felt like everyone in our university was just throwing information at them to try to keep everything going. And I thought, let's take a deep breath. Let's assess the situation completely. First things first, let's make sure we stay on top of our stuff academically. And then we can address the things we need to do as a uh-huh. team. Um, I've talked to so many coaches around the, around the, around the country you know, this week because they have time. And they uh-huh. all did the same thing. And I just said, you know, we're going we're gonna to start having our player meetings two weeks after. And let them really assess what they need so they can really give us the information that they need to be at their very best. Because there's no way at the beginning of this they were gonna be able to give us the information and allow them to be at their best. They hadn't experienced it yet. Um, so I attacked it a little bit differently that way. And then, you know, what I did um, once we started meeting with our guys, I gave them some, I gave them two projects a week. Really simple. Um, you know, one of the projects was a podcast they had to listen to. It wasn't, it wasn't any of ours, okay? So um, <laughs> I did pass along some different stuff I wanted to listen to. I wanted them to give me five notes from it. You know, listen to mm-hmm. a 45-minute podcast, give me five notes. Uh, create a learning environment that's outside of, of what they're doing in academia. And then, I, and then and this is the craziest one. I gave them, uh, we have a list of 10 basketball games they have to watch. Uh, <laughs> because I want them to grow their basketball knowledge when they can't play basketball. And I mm. think by them watching some of the very best games um, in the history of college basketball, they may learn something I guess, uh, something or two that's going to help us down the road. Um, so I try to attack a little bit differently. And then on Sunday night, we'll connect as a group and we'll have this great group discussion about the game and about the podcast. Um, but then I'm going to be patient with them and allow them to continue to learn what they need to do um, to, be, to stay on top of their stuff academically. That's a big, big push for them right now.
0: David, as I mentioned before, I think everybody now, maybe a mentee and a mentor. Like I I think a lot of us are in this space where we need help and we want to help. And I'm certainly in that space. Like I'm talking to people and getting advice or thoughts on, on what I should do and how I should do it. Because when you're in an uncertain time or you're in a chaotic situation, it's really helpful to get advice from somebody. And I'm trying to mentor others, including my two little kids who I'm seeing every single minute of every day and realizing (laughs) how hard a job that is. Um, Exactly. (laughs) But, But I'm curious, as people now are becoming mentors that maybe didn't sign up for it, or are looking for mentors, you live this every single day. So I'm curious to get your perspective on any advice you have for people who may not have thought that they were going to take on that role, either mentee or mentor, and now are sort of thrust into it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think um, it's just about an openness to, to learning. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think, uh, you know, p- folks talked in their opening about being lifelong learners. Like if you can figure out how to show up for other people without prejudgment and not colored by your own experience. So like you're, I had a lot of people I've talked to, you know, in the last three weeks who want to know two things about homeschooling their children and about talking to their children about this crisis. That's, That's great. That's a, that's a set of concerns that a set of people have, have, those are probably in general, and I'm typecasting, not people who are worried about food not people right. who are worried about unemployment and not people who are still going to jobs, um, which mm-hmm. a lot of Americans are, especially those making 15 bucks an hour. Um, so I think just not coming to the situation, I think Susanna, we've held two, two sort of paradoxical things in this conversation. I think that both Jordan and everybody's brought up, but is that one, there's sort of like a leveling experience to this crisis. We all start conversations, talking about some yeah. similar things, there's also yeah. a largely accentuating sort of divide
1: yeah, yeah. There <laughs> in is. terms of
4: what we're worried about. And so Brian, to my, I think to your question, I would just say it's about removing assumptions. It's just about like, you know, like, so I'll give you a real life example. Every, I live in Boston, you know, there was a big push to get every kid a Chromebook. Um, so my first question, I wasn't as patient as coach was, my first question of my mentee and and the sort of six or seven other kids that live in the house was, "You all have Chromebooks, are you all online That was like within three days of schools being out well, Chromebooks you can get those you know like there was an there was it was available, <laughs> but they didn't know how to you know like they hadn't had gotten been able to access them, and there were other worries in that household, but I was applying my lens and my pacing of how to respond to this. Mm. And so just getting them hooked up with that resource that was available, which was pretty easy for me to get them hooked up with, um, was just an assumption that I'd made that they already had these things and were worried about the same things my house was worried about in that moment. And they weren't. And so it was just kind of stepping back and constantly reframing that everybody has a different set of concerns and that you have the ability to be there for somebody else's concerns versus the ones that you're projecting onto them. I think that's the best thing you can do in this moment is just like learn about other people's condition. I think we're also challenged, and this is more of a seismic system thing, but we're also challenged to think about the things that are being um, halted in this moment in the pandemic, like evictions, and some of our immigration enforcement and some of our incarceration measures and saying, should these things be permanent maybe? like, Why is it a good idea to do this now? Why wouldn't this be a good thing to be doing all the time? I just think that's another thing for us to think about in the perspective of this moment is like, what's helpful to build community right now, shouldn't that be what's helpful to build community all the time? Um, But anyway, I, I think, Brian, the lessons are just kind of adjusting your own lens.
1: And Brian, can I ask David a question? Um, So we have gone through a lot of different permutations of how we do mentor uh, programs with Running Start. And in the beginning, we would literally, we'd match them up. We'd say, you know, I think these two people have something in common. And wow, we got it so wrong so many times. And, And including one mentor who called me up later, she's like, what did you possibly think we would have in common? So I stopped doing it. And now what we do is we have networking receptions and, um, and we have an online network too, where people can sort of find their own connections. But do you have tips on how to, how to make that relationship work? Yeah. Like the I mean, pairing I, of people. Yeah. Yeah.
4: A lot of times the pairing with kids and adults is done based on sort of skills and interests. Like you feel like there's commonalities that people are, if they, if they, if they like to do certain things together, um, then that's just going to kind of bond them in time with a kid and an adult. I think with adults, there's a little bit more natural selection that you can allow them to kind of be together and, you know, figure out what kind of person they want to be Mm -hmm. with. Um, it, It is a lot about inventorying, sort of like, what kinds of people are you drawn to? What kind of activities are you drawn to? Just trying to understand what really makes people tick. Because some people are looking for sameness and some people are looking for a compliment. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. But asking those questions about what they're looking for is really important. Um, and I think there's trial and error. I mean, I often also say to people, we got to be humble about matching, right? The dating industry is a billion dollar industry with a 96% failure rate if marriage is a success. So yeah. it's hard to match. you know? Um, and then the only other thing I would say, Susanna, and this may be different with adults, but we a lot of times put a lot of emphasis up front on matching the right people. And then we say, call me if you have a problem. Well mm-hmm. humans who are high performers don't like to call people when they have a problem. They just say, I'll okay. gut through it. Right. But what yeah. happens is that when when a relationship is not working, it's not enjoyable, it's not doesn't feel fulfilling, we stop showing up for each other and next thing you know the relationship's gone. And so the proactive what we call match support mentoring of is this working is really, really important. Um, you know, and so I think that that's something you just gotta you gotta really be after the match, proactive to see whether it's working.
0: Jordan and Jamie, and I want to piggyback off that, Susanna, because where my mind went when you asked that question was to values and alignment of values. And I had a podcast guest once. uh, He's the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Nets, Scott O'Neill, where I said, like, hey,
1: Scott O'Neill, how funny. Small world. Yeah. He's a good friend, yeah.
0: So, so carry Scott, on. <laughs> so, so, Scott's gonna give you this information even if you didn't know you were gonna get it from him. But <laughs> I said to him, I go, what, what, uh, how do you know someone fits the culture in your organization? And he corrected me and said, we don't look for fit, we look for alignment. And uh, Jamie and I know we've had these conversations about alignment. And I thought it was a really good point that Scott made, and it's something that's really stuck with me, which is when you align your values, you can sort of values drive behavior. And if we realize what, if we have shared values, then we can see each other in a, in a different light. And I think a lot of times when there's disconnect, and I, Susanna, you live in that political world, I think a lot of it is, Uh, not that they don't have the same values, but the order of the values is different. So one Mm -hmm. might value security up here and another might value humanity up here. It doesn't mean that the person that values security up here doesn't value humanity. It's just that security is going to trump humanity. Um, And it doesn't mean that person that values humanity doesn't also value security. It's just they're going to be driven by their primary values. And so Mm -hmm. Jamie and Jordan, I'd love to get your perspective on that because um, Jamie, and I know alignment is something that that you look at, whether it comes from your senior staff or your players or your coaching staff. And, and Jordan, um, I know you're constantly hiring people and trying to figure out who on your staff is going to be great and then who's going to be a mentor and all that sort of stuff. So maybe Jamie, if you have any thoughts on that, and then Jordan, feel free to jump in. And, and if anybody else does too, like this, sure. is, this is a feel-free-to-jump-in type of conversation. <laughs> Good. Well,
3: I think number one with, with the way we are today, uh, and not anticipating this from a month ago, I think everyone, every one of us, and, any, any, and most people have had to evaluate, what is your purpose? You know, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? And because we've kind of been pushed into our homes, we've had to evaluate, you know, almost like evaluate, am I doing too much? Can I do this better? Can I do this more efficiently? Um, So this has helped me with our team and with our organization and with our people, because it's forced me to kind of want to simplify and to really get down to to the nuts and bolts, right? Like now we're in a human health, human health crisis. So it's all about health and well-being. It's all about our mental health, our mental state, um, being able to stay physically fit in certain directions. So because of that, I think it's really helped me, honestly, Brian, to just sort of like almost simplify those values. You know, as we talk, and we have so many good things that we're all studying as we're learning, sometimes it's hard to simplify to the most important parts of it. And so when we talk about alignment, you know, I always want to be with people that generally care about people. But yeah. so when we have these conversations, if you if I'm asking someone on our team or, or recruit right now, I want to know how they're doing. I want to hear these conversations about how they care about other people. And if I'm not hearing that, that's a red flag that maybe our maybe our we won't align at the level that we need to because that's on the front of our brains right now for everyone. If they bring up a an adult or a grandparent that they're worried about, this is a great time to really have these kind of tough discussions. And those that's the kind of organization I want to be a part of. So it's helped me with our alignment to simplify uh, the purpose and to help everyone kind of redefine that.
1: And Go ahead, you Suzanne. know uh, the- I was just going to go back to Jamie and you were talking in the beginning about family, how you call the team a family. And we, we say the same thing at running start. We really feel like all the women who've gone through our program. I mean, I feel like I have a thousand daughters because they're just these amazing women, you know, and going back through the years and they, they stay connected with us. Um, and I am, I'm so struck. And I think it was David who said that, um, that hard skills, we always have this emphasis on hard skills, but this giving people the supportive family, telling them like you matter, not just you know because of your skill or because of how good you are at something, but because of who you are and how you care about people. I think that is, that's always been so important. And I think it absolutely helps them get better at the hard skills because they feel supported on the, um, on the rest of their life. But now, man, I mean, I just, I think it's so much more important that we have to be there for people and understand like we we are all struggling. And uh, the more we can make people feel supported, um, the better we're all gonna get through this.
3: Yeah, I always say like the nature of, uh, if you're on a great team or not, you know, in 20 years from now, something's gonna happen to someone on our team. And if they pick the phone up to call one of their former teammates, um,
4: whether it's good or bad,
3: that means we had a good team. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to see today because mm-hmm. the guys I'm working with are 18 to 22 years old. Mm-hmm. But if they, have, if they have the courage enough to pick the phone up and to know when their teammates will answer, and they're vulnerable in that moment to share whatever's going on in their life, then we've really, had a, we've really created a strong culture. Um, and this kind of situation starts to kind of get that ball rolling a little bit but that's how I want to gauge it. I want to gauge in 20 years from now when someone's struggling, to pick that phone up, they call someone in that locker room. That says a lot about what we've been
2: trying to do. Yeah.
0: Jordan, yeah. Jordan, go ahead.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think we're talking about a couple things here that are really important. Um, and to kind of jump back to, to kind of this initial pairing or what have you, you know, two, two things that I constantly ask myself is one is what brought us together. And I think it's really important to know that. So, um, you know, kind of Susanna, as you talk about the organization you're running, I think just constantly reminding ourselves is what, what brought us here. Um, and then the second part is, um, and this kind of goes to the values piece is, you know, what is our North Star? And and what are are, are some of the pillars um, that we've collectively agreed upon? And I think what's what's critical is having that list can't be too extensive. Um, because the other thing that, that we're learning in real time, Um, I do a lot of, you know, I'm super passionate about inclusion, um, on all fronts. And part of inclusion says that, um, I I can't just invite you into the room. I have to be open to the culture of the room and the environment shifting. And so, and so if I have a million different rules or or values as an organization to hire someone, well, then I've pretty much just said, you're going to come here, but you're going to be like me. And, and I don't think that you get great talent that way. Um, however, if I tell you, listen, there, there are three things that we really care about a lot. You know, one is we don't believe in work-life balance. We believe in work-life integration. And if you're not comfortable being around my family and I can't be comfortable being around yours, this probably won't work here. Um, and, and we're going to swing for the fences. We're not an organization that's going to try to, uh, to kind of do things the way that it's always been done. So I think it's about having a couple – things that you really stand for, but then being flexible in other things. And I think that this environment is is proving a lot of things to a lot of people. I mean, never in a million years would I think there was anything positive about not having my team together in the office all the time. And now all of a sudden, you know, as David mentioned, you, you start to realize, ah, oh, maybe there's some things that, that aren't so bad yeah. uh, about this. So um anyway, that that's kind of how we think about especially initially pairing is how do we remind people what brought them together and then uh, figure out a North star and some core, core principles. But the other piece um, that, that I just constantly reminded of is um, this difference between demographics and psychographics and in a world where we are coming together more and more. Um, and, and I refuse to lose sight of that. I think there's a lot of things that need, need work, but um, uh, my belief, and maybe that's just that I'm, I'm kind of an eternal optimist, but I just, I think is life, life is happening for us, not to us, that, and that's always going to be kind of the way that we tackle the day. But um, I think kind of getting to, the, to this last piece um, with people and, and, and coming together is the psychographics of things are what we believe in and what we dream of, right? The demographics are all of the things that are external. And I think when you get people together and you start giving them prompts or you start, you know, finding ways for them to interact, we start realizing, Brian, you and me came from very different places, but our drive is the same. Our ability to, uh, to be optimistic is the same. And now all of a sudden, two people who on the surface have nothing in common become really good friends and I think that that is playing itself out over and over if we focus on the right things
4: I think the the challenge you know that that we also have And Suzanne you brought it you framed it up and then both these guys just hit on it so so deeply but is um, leadership has often been framed a lot about service and then when you throw values into it you know My values might be values that don't lead to inclusivity. They might be values that are exclusive. Um, You know, you're not woke enough. You're not this enough. You're not building a wall high enough. Um, More of our, when we frame our our non-negotiable values, often they are exclusive values. (laughs) They are not inclusive values. Or they are built on a power dynamic that say, I am now in a position to give to you because you need from me. Mm And so I'm in a position to give to you. And that's seen as a higher calling. The question is, to me at least, the ultimate form of service is what you all have described, which is, how do I make a table that everyone can sit around?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: We we have assigned some great value to only the people like this can sit around my table. They believe in this kind of politics, or they believe in this kind of this. And I don't have time for anybody else. And we've made that sort of like the cancel culture. We've made that sort of like, that's actually a heroic thing. And I, I don't actually think like that is heroic. The question no. is, how can you set a big enough table that you have a coalition of people who are bound by, as Jamie said, playing the 20 year game of we're going to be at this 20 years from now, yeah. you know?
1: But, you know, I, I feel like it's, if you start out intentionally and say, we're going to let everybody around this table and, and the rules are like, here are the ground rules, we're respecting everybody. You guys come from different places, you believe different things, you, you've had you know, vastly different backgrounds, but we're all gonna sit together and we're gonna have a respectful conversation and I want you to learn from this person. Uh, we do that at Running Start, the, one of the starkest ways we do that is we actually, we have a house where we um, house people for a semester while we give them internships on Capitol Hill and the women in that house they come from so many different worlds and they have to live together for four months you know as roommates i think one of the rooms has three beds in it and but you know if you lay out those rules it doesn't mean it always goes smoothly but there is that expectation like you're gonna figure out how to make this work because yeah probably we all agree like that's the only way that we're ever gonna have a better world is if we learn how to it's it's respect right it's like hmm. listen to the to the views um that you don't understand and the people who think different things and and try and yeah. find out where they're coming from
4: i mean i think it's also the power of presence versus outcome which is what's hard because like jordan you're working on graduation workforce jamie and you're trying to win games and build a strong culture suzanne and you're trying to win elections you know and i'm trying to get money for youth mentoring, get people to put mentoring first and make it quality, you know? And so the outcomes Mm -hmm. sort of tend to, tend to sometimes not allow us to just figure out the power of saying we're going to show up for each other for a long time. You know, I think that happens in mentoring a lot, is that people think their mentee, they're going to be sitting up at their Harvard graduation and someone's going to make a lifetime movie about them. And the mentee, Feels that same pressure, you know. Yeah. And if you say, "Dude, no matter where we go, I'm going to keep co- showing up," that's the most powerful thing in the world.
2: Yeah. Well, and and I think the the one other thing that we you touched on earlier, which I think is is critical, is if we're being honest, what gets a lot of people into mentorship? It's it's um, in some cases it's just truly th- that it's a noble act, and and um, and they want to serve, um, but. Uh, what we've found the most, the most um, productive and healthy mentor protege relationships are where there is a, a value exchange that's occurring. And, and, um, and it's going to, in most cases, be different things, but it cannot be that I'm a mentor. And so I'm, I'm your savior and I'm going to get the recognition for, for saving you. Um, this has to be that we got together and we Collectively grew, and uh, and as a result of that, this has been a healthy relationship.
0: That's such a good point. Uh, collaboration, I think, is so underrated when you think about mentor mentee. And in the coaching world, I think of myself the same way. Like, I'm never gonna take credit for my client's success because I'm not the one that's doing the work. Like, <laughs> my time with them is is hopefully enlightening and helps them tremendously, but at the end of the day, they're going to be the one that does the work. And, and Jamie, and I I know in your world, yes, you can draw up X's and O's, but you play division one basketball, you know what it's like to be on the free throw line or, or to have to make a shot. But as a coach, you can draw up the best X's and O's at the end of the day, they don't execute it, you know, or they do execute it. It's, it's on them. And I think in sports coaching a lot, we hear sports coaches take credit. (laughs) Um, And I think it's one of the, challenges that I see with sports coaching, because I think a a sports coach can do a great job and still lose. Um, The best sports coaches Mm -hmm. in the world have lost. I think Coach K was like 35 and 48 uh, in his first couple years at Duke. Um, So Jamie, I'm curious to hear how you think about collaboration and how you think about um, adding value, but also getting value and how all that plays out sort of like Jordan was talking about it.
3: Yeah, I I often say like, I'm judged on a 30 second timeout. You know, we're going to do all this work, all this time, practice. You know, we have 150 practices, we work on the summer. And there's going to be one moment in the month of March where there's a 30 second timeout. And we either put all the work into being connected and loving to our players and helping them understand how good they can be and how, how, how much we believe in them to have their back, or they're going to look at us and, and not go out there and be able to execute. You know, in the best, in the biggest moments, like a moment that we're in now, that we're living right now, the very best people, those who have worked for it, always seem to rise to the occasion. Um, we're trying to build this, this culture, this way of life that allows for us to be really good in that 30 second timeout, be a little bit better than the other team because we're so connected. And I think that collaboration is extremely important. You know, that when you talk about being being connected, um, I'm not just talking about them being connected to me and to, to my vision. I'm talking about being collaborative on us building this vision together. You know, oftentimes we're in this recruiting process, like right now, we're essentially recruiting. 24 hours a day because everyone could just talk on the phone. And one of the things that I love best about it is you're sitting there talking to a 16 to 19 year old kid and you get a chance to collaborate with them and to see if their vision can, can help support your vision and your vision helps support theirs. I think that's why we've been able to connect so well at different, at different places, because I'm not banging them over the head with a hammer about what my vision is. You know, I represent, I understand that they have dreams and they have things that they want to accomplish. And I have things, and things that I want to accomplish. But I'm not trying to live my dream through theirs. You know, I'm living my dream. I want to be a head coach at GW my entire life. I'm living oh, my dream. That's so awesome. So I'm in an amazing place. But that puts me in a place where I can help them live and fulfill theirs. And so oftentimes with our staff, we kind of talk about, like, you know, not being driven by outcome. Because I'm in a position where I'm not driven by outcome. You know, I'm in a position where I can completely love their, their journey and their pathway and represent that wherever, wherever they are in their journey, it's not indicative about who they are and who they want to be. It's just where they are today. And so because I can appreciate their dream and where they want to go, and because we collaborate on, on their dream and where, where they're traveling to, I can then hold them accountable to the person who they say they want to be. Hmm. So that's why I think the collaboration of it is so important because it allows, it allows us to meet in the middle, right? Now, my vision may be at the top of the mountain, and at the, at the moment they may be at the bottom of the mountain. That's really not that all that important. I think as a leader, we're always shooting for them to be at their very best. And we're always going to be ready to hold them accountable. We have to be able to connect with them where they are and to show them the light of where they can go. And I don't think you can do that effectively without collaborating.
1: It, I mean, I think that's the definition of being a good, good mentor, like exactly what you said. It's that you understand that it's a two-way street and you're going to listen to them and respect their opinion, um, even though they're younger and less experienced than you are.
4: I also love the 30-second timeout kind of analog because we have talked we have talked more about, you know, sort of, you know, different people than our own organizations. But one of the things I keep saying to my own organization is we are the same people we came into this crisis as. Hmm. We have the same strategy. We will pivot. But everything we've done up to this point, we're just leaning harder on it now. It's just magnifying our flaws and what we're excellent at. Um, And so I think there will be all these stories and people love this narrative about like, this moment is bringing out this thing that was never brought out before. I think most of that's bullshit. I think it's bringing out things that were already somewhere in people. Just like that 30 second time out, you didn't all of a sudden come up with, you know, everyone wants to think Martin Luther King wrote the I have a dream speech on a train on the way there. That's not true. It's a it was an amalgam of a million speeches he'd given before. Um, and so there's some insp- late late staking in inspiration, but most of it draws on a well of things you've built up to that point. Um, and sort of a dark story, but I oh, it's a powerful story. It happened to me personally. I always think about it is that a young man said to me after there was a shooting in a neighborhood and I was there, he said, all these people are showing up and bringing us food. It's weird. He was like 10 years old. So he didn't have a whole lot of words other than that. And for the moment, and he's and I said, What's weird about it? And he said, Well, I only really I only really want to see the people who were here before. Hmm. And yeah. it just was like pointed to me, a 10-year-old recognized that everybody's showing up now. <laughs> but who was here before, before the 30-second timeout, who was paying attention in the moments when the lights weren't on? And I just think that's a lot about like what we need to do to build strong so- social
2: infrastructure all the time. Just think about those things.
0: David, I, David, I think if, if I could if I could right. jump in real quick, right. Brian,
2: just to, to close because I, 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 the, the accountability piece um, in mentorship and coaching, I think, is huge, and and we have been talking a lot about four kind of four um, factors of accountability and uh, and their commitment, resilience, ownership, and continued learning, and um, I, I think in in all of these relationships that we're talking about, whether it's with with, um, you know, player coach, whether it's mentor, protege, etc., Um, being able to clearly ask for commitment, you know, there's a, there's a book called no ego, um, that I love. And, and in it, it talks about, there's a reason why the, the stewardess on an, on an airplane, um, to the people who are sitting in the exit seats comes and says, I need you to say this out loud. Um, and sometimes I think as coaches and as mentors, it's, it's good to get our, our protégés or our student-athletes to verbalize um, what they're committing to. And oftentimes that's a commitment to themselves, ultimately is what it should be. Um, the second piece is, is obviously the resilience component. Um, and resilience, I think a lot of us think through as being singular. It's that I'm a resilient person. I think the most resilient people I know are people who utilize their networks when things aren't going well. Um, and it's not for them, for their networks to save them, but more so for their networks to inform and empower them on their next steps. Um, the third component of ownership, I think, great coaches, as you said, you would never take the success for anybody who you've met with. Um, I, you know, I think great coaches are the same way, um, and they're giving ownership to their protege, to their players, etc. And then it's this this commitment to to continued learning. So I thought you know, that was touched on a couple pieces and maybe that just kind of helps to give a little bit of a framework around accountability.
0: I love that. You know, one of the things I'm noticing from everybody that's coming on these panel discussions is this common thread of helping others when you're in a tough situation. And, and Jamie and hit on this earlier, 20 years from now, having his players call someone and, and reaching out. So I think Jordan, what you hit on just now Yes, I need to be willing to ask for help if I need help and be vulnerable enough and not too proud to ask for assistance and David, what you talked about, I love that story um, you know where Where was everybody before um, mm-hmm. and here's the other reality. Yes, there are people right now in survival mode, right? so those people can't be helping others right now. they have to figure out how to eat and how to live, and there are people that are in survival mode i'm going to just Let's put those people aside for now. The amazing thing about these panels have been how many people that are not in survival mode who raised their hand and said, Brian, I'd love to be in a panel and try to share some knowledge to hopefully help people. And I, to David's point, I think we all have that inside of us. I don't think any of us, I think everybody likes that. There's research that shows that helping others actually increases happiness. And so for me, one of the things that I think is is true that if you 're not in that survival mode right now, I, I talked about this with a CEO yesterday like he 's observing his staff to see who 's willing to make it bigger than themselves who 's willing to mm-hmm. go lend a hand who 's willing to Um, put some money in to deliver some pizzas to the hospital. Who's willing to do what they can with what they've got. And there's been a common thread, whether I've had talked to SEAL teams or nonprofit CEOs or sports coaches um, or people that are uh, negotiation experts. There's this common thread of empathy and a desire to help others. And those are the people you want on your team. Those are the people you want to surround yourself with. And I just, I think it's been a lesson for me that usually when we have something adverse happen to us, we tend to say, why me? And we tend to look inward. Um, yeah. And I think those that can hold that while also thinking about what can I do to help someone else and hold yeah. those two things at once, those are people that really change the world. Um, so that it's just another thought for people as they're listening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh. Okay. Well, mine is kind of short. It's just that um, I, I think whoever said uh, that people don't like to ask for help, that is really, really true. And, um, and the one thing that we try to tell our students is, I know you don't want to ask for help. I know you, don't, you want to get where you're going on your own, but especially for people who grew up in communities that were not really connected, you know, in disadvantaged communities, they need that connection to somebody who can actually help them get that job, help them get that support they need. And so, um, it's funny, I have this fight with my children all the time. You have to ask for help. You have to go and, you know, use connections because that is how you, you get ahead. But wow, it is so much more important for people who come from Mm. backgrounds where nobody's really in power and they really, the, the phone call with, you know, one of the people on the panel that can help them, uh, have their resume seen could make all the difference. So absolutely ask for help.
4: Yeah. I think also the, the, to me, the true definition of generosity is being willing to give and having no idea what the result will be. Yeah. Um, You would would be really surprised the amount of wonderful people who I sit around with in the philanthropic world and the political world who's, who just like think this is a math problem. Like (laughs) They, they want to know what the perfect answer is and how do I know this is going to make an impact and how do I know this team's going to win and how do I know this scholarship is going to be the difference? I don't know, but you don't approach things in your own self-interest that way. You don't get mm. your kid violin lessons and then if they're not a virtuoso, you're like, well, <laughs> I guess that's it. Good luck. Find another passion. You just keep throwing everything against the wall in your own life all the time, trying the new thing for you, for kids, trying a new workout trying to do this, trying to do that. But for some reason, when people do for others, it's like they need a guarantee that, you know, it's going to be Bob Kraft sending a plane to China to get masks. Like, that's something he can do. Great. He gets a lot of media for that. That's like you and me sending our car somewhere. You know, like, it's, it's that's something he can do. But I, I think true generosity is having no idea whether it will work or whether anyone will ever recognize it and just taking a shot.
2: That's true. It's
0: Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> so what I'd like to do to add, I think it's a beautiful place to stop. A wise man once told me that he gives not for notoriety, but because it's the right thing to do. And I think, uh, David, you hit the nail on the head there. I think it's trying to find out the right thing to do. And I think, a lot of people don't know what the right thing to do is right now. So let's just take action and, and then see what happens. So I didn't know how these panels would turn out, but let's just do it and then, and then see. And uh, I'm glad I did because I got to bring the four of you together and, and learn from all of you and just so much wisdom amongst the four of you from so many different perspectives. So this has been a lot of fun for me. What I'd love to do is give each of you a megaphone to um, A, promote what you want to promote, um, whether that's social media or a website or what have you, um, and and then also, I want you to either ask another panelist a question that you've been uh, interested in asking them or sharing an insight that you've gleaned from this conversation. Uh, and Suzanne, I want to give you the the first shot at it. Um, so where can we learn more about what you're doing at running start? Uh, and, and follow you. And if you have a question or an insight gleaned from this conversation, I would love for you to share it.
1: Yeah. So you can find us at runningstart.org. And our um, sweet spot are high school girls from 13 to, um, 19 and then college, college women. And we do training programs that, you know, up until now have been totally in person, as I said, but now we are pivoting online and, um, we're actually probably, that's going to allow us to take many more people than, than we traditionally do. So, um, look at our website for opportunities, um, and, Again, we're looking for young women who have a real desire to be change makers and to to be the the people in their communities who are solving problems and actually you know making things better so um, if you know women like that then send them send them the way of running start and everything we do um, we, we do charge for some things, but um, we have scholarships available for every single thing we do. So money is never an object to participate, even in our um, our uh, program in the summer, which is a week in DC. So yeah, look us up. And then um, I guess I want to go back to Jamie. And I, I really, I love the idea of the the team, it's such a serious thing. Like you've got these, these professionals and you're trying to do something that's so difficult, but the fact that you're emphasizing the personal and you are making sure that they feel, I mean, you didn't say the word loved, but, but they're feeling loved and part of a family. I just, I, I love that. And I, I wish that more groups like yours or businesses would understand that, that you have to pay attention to the personal because it's such an enormous part of our lives. So I, I really like that resonated with me the most. I
3: appreciate it, thanks. That's, uh, you know, it's one of the things that's in sport, it's almost like, un, it's like misunderstood. So mm-hmm. we often have to almost onboard our players as they come in to understand uh-huh. that being vulnerable is such a major strength. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a challenge and it's a journey. Um, but we fight it every single day. And again, when you see the progress these guys make and the impact they make on others, um, it, it, it's worth as many of the wins, wins on, on game day.
2: And James- if, if I could jump in real quick, real quick, just to acknowledge that I think, uh, Jamie, it's amazing to hear um, that that's of all the things you could be telling you know, young adults that that's what, what you're choosing to. Um, that, that gives us hope. I also think just to kind of shout out Brian. You know, when I went to the first retreat, you know, I knew there was going to be a lot of people who were accomplished and whatnot, but for you to spend the time talking about not the hard skills, but the human skills, I think that just is encouraging for us as a society, when people who have the platforms that both of you do are choosing to use them to talk about these things.
1: Yeah.
0: Thank you. And, and Jamian, uh, why don't you go next? And, and by the way, Susanna, he did use the word love. He uses the word love oh, a did? lot. Yeah, <laughs> he did. I was actually
1: even taking notes. Yeah, so, he but, doesn't hold yeah, back. Okay. He uses Good.
0: love. And, uh, and something about Jamian real quick before Jamian goes. If you watch Jamian before the game starts, his team lines up from half court. And I don't, I don't know any other team that does this. Maybe Jamie and I'm wrong, but I've never seen anything like this. And I, I brought one of my friends to a game and he watched it and he was like, what is going on? And so they line up and the coaches are on one side, the players are on another and they go around and they, they hug each other. Each one just, they, they give each other hugs and you can see the connection and the love. And when they're in huddles, they're all always connected. Their arms are around each other. And so you can actually see it and modeling it and, and seeing it tangibly as a as someone in the stands, it, it just sticks out. And so, wow. you know, it's just something, if you ever watch a game uh, where they're playing, just look, try to get there a few minutes early and watch them right before the game's about to yeah. begin. They line up and they all hug each other, look each other in the eye. It's, it's really beautiful. So now, Jamie, and tell us about where we can find you. I know you love Twitter. Um, and if people want to follow GW, Men's Basketball, uh, where they can do that. And a question or an insight, uh, feel free to share that as well.
3: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Jamie and Christian, um, and then the GW website, George Washington um, website, athletic website. It'll pop right up when you put it into Google. Um, and follow our team, and you can follow us all on Twitter. We GW uh, men's basketball Twitter page as well, and Instagram and all that. So we're we're everywhere. So just pop that in. Um, you know, I appreciate the panel today. I, I took a, a ton of great notes, and Ryan knows me. I'm gonna probably follow up with every one of you guys to try to find a little bit more information about what you guys do and just trying to keep getting better, because you guys are attacking it in such a, in such a different way and with such a different focus that it's only going to allow, allow those who watch this and listen to this to be better, including myself. So I'm really appreciative of you guys taking the time. Uh, David, my question's for you. Um, what do you think you've learned the most from mentoring um, from the beginning until now? If you had one thing you could kind of
4: circle. Um. Wow. Thank you, Jamie. Um, I think, (laughs) I think the degree to which um, showing up is often attached to our own fulfillment and sense of accomplishment (laughs) and how powerful it can be to show someone that you're going to show up no matter that, if that makes sense. So I think that we, we, I met a coach once and I just thought this was really interesting. A youth elite coach who told me when he watches film, he watches to see how many contacts he has with each kid. Like not, not how they're playing, but how many kids is he putting his arm around with or having a conversation with? Because he knows that he's going to gravitate towards certain kids. And That's probably going to be because of their ability, because of their personality, because how coachable they are. And he wants to make sure that he's not leaving anybody out. He wants to make sure that he's showing up for everybody and he knows his own biases and he'll only get that from video. And so I think Jamie, and for me, it's that, like, how do you, how do you disentangle presence from accomplishment, achievement, sense of productivity is probably the number one just keep showing up <laughs> present not perfect that's what we always say awesome thank you thank you thank you yeah thank you
0: love it uh david where can people learn more about you and mentor and then a question or an insight for somebody else
4: yeah um we're mentoring.org so not hard to find us it's one thing <laughs> we did right um and i'm at, D, at D# mentor. Um, And Susanna, talking about just how small the world is, I just realized that Melissa Richmond, who works for you, I think, spoke at the National Mentoring Summit last year. Oh, a-
1: oh my gosh, that's so great. Yeah, she's the number two at Running Start. I could yeah. not live without her. She is amazing. It only took me an hour to figure that out, but I just, wait, yeah. she just wait, David, didn't she just do that? Wasn't that just yeah, a few weeks at the, ago? At
4: January she spoke to fifteen hundred people at the National Mentoring Summit. She well, and it.
1: what you may not know, she was so sick that day. We I, thought she was I thought I was gonna have to step in and do it for her, but she pulled it off. She was
4: lying on her back in the green room with her mother uh. with her. I mean, like, talk about someone showing up for you. Her mom showed up for her as a grown yeah.
1: woman, and then she went right. out there. And yeah. own the stage. She was amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to tell her. That is so great, David. Thank you for, for yeah. passing that on. That's the great. world
4: is small and we are connected. Yeah. Um, and then Jordan, I just, I, I guess I have a question for you around in this time, um, how you're holding young people together who are have such different lives at home. And, mm-hmm. and such a large number of young people who, like in Damien's case, they're connected by hoops but in your case like it's all over the map you know just like how are you thinking about keeping this number of young people connected
2: right now yeah we we um we have a team of about 20 so we have been figuring out our schedule so we meet in the morning as a team we meet in the afternoon and in between time it's just how do we get to the to them as individuals so we've kind of have a communication strategy and and to your point yeah their realities are extremely different so we have some who um i mean we have a student who 3 weeks ago his father died it's him his he's 17 it's his 19 year old sister him and his 8 year old brother his sister is the one i mean and they're in a home now I, I mean so you think about that extreme and then you think about students who've got mom and dad and and you know they have an inconvenience of of not being able to go outside and so I think it's really about our commitment to getting to them as individuals with which certainly is needed during these times, but I think it's it's critical in all times, right? Um, so that has been our approach and and then and the, the only other thing that I would that I'd add to that actually, David, is, is we chose a long time ago one of our non-negotiables that is the lens we're going to see the world through, which I mentioned earlier, which is you know it's through optimism, it's through. That we don't just get through situations, but we grow through situations. And so, I think what we need now more than ever for ourselves and for the students we're serving is to remind them of who they are. Um, they've been through things in the past before. This is another one. Um, and the reality of it is, is we're finding. And there's a there's a great book called Anti-Fragile. Um, that to your point earlier, you mentioned about this is kind of a great equalizer. You know. And now all of a sudden you start to see some of our students it's like all right let's go like this is nothing new to me Um, whereas some others who maybe you know life has been pretty good and they've had some buffers and people kind of protecting them and now all of a sudden they're feeling it a little bit and so um, we're just gonna see go through this with our eyes open and uh, and continue to remind them of the things that they stand for as individuals
0: Jordan where can people find you, uh, on social? I know you, I think you like Instagram and, uh, and also if they want to learn more about, uh, the, the work you're doing, tell people where they can find that as well.
2: Sure. So Jordan underscore Steffi on Instagram, um, and at Atalo prep, A-T-T-O-L-L-O prep, uh, on Instagram as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think for, for me, Suzanne, I actually have a, a question for you, um, on, you know, I have a daughter, she's, she's relatively young, but when you're kind of getting exposed to these young women and, and, and encouraging them through this process, what are some of the key kind of characteristics that stand out to you, whether it's a 13 year old or a 14 year old? Um, first of all, what are some of the barriers? So why aren't, young women getting into, into politics. And then two, like, what are some of the characteristics that you would encourage a parent to continue to foster in a, in a, in a daughter?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. Um, so the barriers are so uniform. I mean, it, it, it's just, it's not just the adolescent girls it's all the way up is that, um, women lack some of the confidence that men have in their, you know, thinking about their qualifications. And mm. so a big thing that we do is we talk to them about that. We say, look, you know, if you talk to a room of a hundred women and ask them would they run for office, and if they wouldn't, why the number one answer is going to be, I, I could never do that. I don't know enough. I'm not qualified. Mm. Um, and so by talking to them about that, understanding that, um, that this, you know, women have not seen themselves as leaders really in the history of the world, we have not been the top leaders and there's a lot of, of, you know, cultural um, baggage to get rid of. So just having them understand that like you should be there, you have what it takes, you are just as good as um, the guy competing for this, but because of all this stuff, you might not think that. And just Mm -hmm. reminding them that over and over. And then the other thing that we do that I think as a parent, um, I've done with my kids too, is... Make them do those hard things so if they come up to me and say, I could never do public speaking, I'm going to opt out of this exercise, then you know that that's the kid that you really need to find some way to get them up on stage because once they do it one time, it's you know that's the hardest time, and then it's forever after they know they didn't die, you know, they were way better than they thought almost always, and the next time's easier.
2: So good, so good, thank you. Good luck with I your am- daughter. Thank you, thank you. So, so Brian, to kind of close it out on my front, um, just an offer. I, I'm on a mission. I want to teach a million people how to solve the Rubik's cube. <laughs> oh my God,
0: you um, serious? For, yeah. For and, and, and the
2: reason, the reason is is because I think it's something tangible that reminds us that we can do hard things, and whether it's young people, yeah. um, whether it's adults, etc. I think we need those reminders. But for me, um, the 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 kind of the last thing that I I would say is, first of all, or in most sports, you, we had a bye week. And during these bye weeks, um, it was the week that you didn't, you didn't play when everybody else did, right? And um, my coach at the time, Coach Friedgen, had some crazy record. He, he hadn't lost a game after a bye week in, like, so many years. I don't know if he had, had lost any at that point up in his career. And I was sitting down talking to him as to why, what went into that success, and I thought what he said was really interesting. And I think it kind of relates to us right now. Um, he said, what a lot of people spend the bye week doing is focusing on their next opponent, the next thing they have to do. And people think that I'm successful because I have two weeks to focus on my opponent. He said, but actually, I spend a lot of this time not scouting my opponent, but scouting myself and scouting us as a team. And I think that as we kind of go through this time, um, that's different. And there are some people who are really affected by this. But uh, if I'm being honest with myself and my family and speaking of privilege, you know, this is not, this is a minor inconvenience if at most, right? Yep. Um, I want to encourage anyone who's, who believes that that's their reality as well to not just think about all the next things that you're going to do, but use this as a time to really self-reflect and kind of come out of this better than you were before we went into it.
0: It's such a, such an I- ideal spot for us to close, I just got to bring Jordan on all these and you can just do it for me. Um, <laughs> but, but To sort of piggyback off that and to end it, Jamie and talked about finding purpose and really thinking about what your purpose is. And for me, what's come really clear during this time is my purpose is to serve and um, to serve people that are interested in connecting with themselves, connecting with nature, connecting with others. Um, and, and David talked about lifelong learning. Like, continuing my journey to be a lifelong learner and finding other lifelong learners because it's more fun to learn with them. And I had an experience with a professional sports team where I worked with one of the superstars on that team. And at the end of all of our meetings, I would say, I've got your back. And he looked at me after like the third or fourth one and said, "Like, dude, you always say that. And I was like, "Yeah, I've got your back, man. Of course." <laughs> and he didn't feel like a lot of people in his life had his back. He didn't feel like a lot of people in pro sports had his back. And it's interesting because I texted him maybe last week just to check in and see how he was doing, and he texted me back, and he's like, "How are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm okay." You know, it's it's challenging. It's tough. And he was like. I'm a little disappointed. This isn't the Brian that I'm used to. I'm like, all right. I wrote him a paragraph. And, uh, and at the end of it, I just said to him that it's hard to be grateful and stressed at the same time. And I'm just feeling Mm. really grateful, um, to have what I have to Jordan's point and to be able to be with my family and my kids and to have my health. And he's like, there it is. And uh, he's like, that's what I was looking for. Um, but I want to just close by letting you all know that I've got your back and, uh, Whatever you all need going forward, you know, you know I have your back. And um, I appreciate all of you having my back and showing up uh, for this community and, and sharing your wisdom and knowledge and, um, looking forward to many more conversations with all of you and, and learning from all of you and you all are doing yeoman's work. You're doing leadership and you have people's backs. And I think that is what's so inspiring when I'm around other people that have other people's backs. Uh, David Mm -hmm. talked about unconditionally that to me is living a fulfilling and successful life. And so Mm -hmm. I try to find other people that, want to have other people's backs because I think if we all take that approach, the world will be a much better place. So thanks for having my back. I've got your back and I'll talk to you all soon. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Bye.
2: It's great meeting all you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You guys too. Bye.